Welcome to part two of our gender and sex episode. In this part, we discuss gender testing the Olympics, current rules for trans athletes, and how running clubs can be more trans inclusive. If you missed part one, be sure to check it out as we discussed how sex isn't as simple as people think and why men are faster than women. This is the Sidrunner Podcast, your science-based look at all things running. Yeah, we could probably do an entire episode on just gender testing in sports, uh, although it's sometimes called sex testing uh, in the Olympics and other competitions because it's 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 incredibly fascinating. There's like so many so many things that have happened historically, um, and 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 from the archives, it seems that the real first mention that I could find anyway of them doing this testing was talked about in the 1936 uh, Berlin Olympics. Which was an interesting time for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, not uh, really progressive real, time, no. <laughs> yeah, with the with it was like the Nazi propaganda oh. uh, Olympics and things like that. So, um, but it seemed that a lot of it was born out of this sort of fear that men, for some reason I personally would not understand, were willing or able to invade uh, women's divisions for the glory, I guess. Um, right. And because women athletes, are they just paid so much money? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a glamorous lifestyle, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, like, I mean, to undertake that as an athlete, you would have to go through, like, what, you got to fake it for years and years and, like, yeah, it's absurd. Anyways. But uh, but that said, it was seemed to have been born out of these. There was these two athletes that actually competed prior to uh, 1936. Um, I can't quite say this name. <laughs> uh, oh, say it. Oh, I, I have no idea. Yeah, it's uh, Kubkova. What's her last okay. name? Yeah. So there's two athletes. Uh, I think it's Kubkova and uh, Mary Weston, who after their athletic careers ended up transitioning to men. Now it appears that uh, Mary was intersex. I guess it's still intersex. Right. what you call it right um but back then there was a lot of if somebody wasn't born uh with a very obvious penis they would just label them a female right right and then they would raise them as a female even though everything else about them yeah and is, there's actually is this is a huge um issue for intersex people from what i understand that either there's been unnecessary surgeries or there's been you know yeah. really sort of shoving gender identity gendered down the throats of people who you know maybe need, needed some time to figure out what was right for them yeah and there was that famous case of the twins oh yeah one had it was oh um david and bruce reamer yes. yeah yeah and so the one of them had a they were both circumcised and one of them the circumcision went horribly wrong and and they just completed genital surgery on him as a baby and like we're like oh yeah you're a girl now and, which is yeah, and which is actually one of the things that I find so interesting about gender identity that you know that you just it's not entirely socialized like there's something he, in some cases that just is there from, right yeah yeah uh, of course they struggled for their whole lives I, it killed killed themselves he, yeah he ended up uh, committing yeah. suicide yeah unfortunately just, yeah, yeah it was such a sad thing but like I can just I can't imagine what that must have been like for him right so it sounds like this was kind of one of the, what happened here with. Uh, Mark, uh, who competed previously as Mary, uh, and and he said, you know, at post-transition, I always imagined myself as a girl until 1928. Then competing in, in the uh, World Championships in Prague, I began to realize I was not normal and no right to compete as a woman. 
Oh, well, that's also like, that actually makes me really sad because, you know. It's sad. But I think it's interesting because it does lend the like, like there was this fear that their their men are doing this on purpose, you know, and this, you know what I mean? And I don't think there's anybody out there who, if they would take an unfair advantage Hmm. for for themselves for some reason. Anyways, make things even more complicated. Uh, In the 1936 Olympics themselves, uh, there was an athlete named Dora uh, Ratjen. Uh, who later transitioned to Heinrich. And uh, similar to Mark, was assigned as a female at birth. But there's additional confusion here because in 1966, uh, Time magazine reported that in 1957, Heinrich had confessed that he had been forced by the Nazis to pose as a woman for the sake of the honor and glory of Germany. Yeah, oh, lovely. Which hilarious. Uh, which also led to the creation of a movie called Berlin 36, um, which you know talked about how the Nazis entered... Heinrich and all this. Uh, of course, the problem with all of this was that it wasn't true. Of course not. Media being wrong about these issues, never. <laughs> yeah. The hell you say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this, yeah, this never happened. It was more likely that Heinrich was just uh, an intersex athlete. Um, but it, of course, it, this movie and this fictionalization, this and this media reporting sort of elite, can further leads to this idea that there's this attempt by men to deliberately invade yeah and a lot of this is also you know i'm gonna bring up my feminist flag here but it's patriarchal nonsense that we have to protect (laughs) the women you know like and it's like no 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 we're we're all just girls here it's okay (laughs) yeah and just just to compound that yeah there was one uh historian who said about that movie and about that whole thing that on the basis of the available documents is completely out of the question that the nazis deliberately created uh, Dora Ratchin is a secret weapon for the Olympic Games. So, yeah, I mean, it just never happened. Wow. They actually, uh, there's a book accompanying the film that speaks of clear deviations between reality and the cinematic representation. Wait, movies are wrong sometimes? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the worst part about this was around the same time in the 1960s, uh, the Olympics instituted a wildly popular, oh. uh, <laughs> a wildly popular uh, policy um, wherein, which, which were kind of nicknamed the nude parades. Oh God! Uh, wherein they had women, women wherein the uh, uh, women athletes were asked to parade nude before a panel of doctors. Oh, yeah! This is one of those classic. Let Let's protect the women by making them all do this like horribly like privacy invading stuff because that's clearly better. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like I don't yeah. understand. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, absurd. Anyway, um, and of course, you know they're not. Men, male athletes, no problem. Never. Yeah, out. yeah. We never question male athletes because I mean, this is another thing. Speaking to uh, to trans men here in Vancouver, that there's this idea that a trans man could never be possibly, you know, ever competitive in the male category. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is obviously mm. wrong. But mm. um, yeah, so after that, then in 1968, they switched to chromosome testing, which of course was fraught with. Right. All, all sorts of difficulties as well. So this is part of what we were talking about as well. So uh, so women athletes were suddenly discovering, hey, I've got a Y chromosome here. Because either they were looking at uh, the SRY gene itself, which when every time I read it, I, I read that as the sorry gene, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm just like, oh. Um, and uh, then there's also uh, – Earlier on, they were looking for the presence of bar bodies. So this is in people with two X chromosomes. It, one of the X chromosomes becomes inactivated, and you can actually like detect that in the cell. Um, neither one of these uh, these testing techniques is 100% accurate. And on top of that, 
as we mentioned before, you can have people, uh, women with complete androgen insensitivity syndrome who have XY chromosomes, but are, you know, as far as very like biologically, anatomically female looking. And so all of a sudden, all these people were sort of confronted with the this like weird idea coming out of science saying, well, you're not actually a woman. Well, and and this is kind of the fundamental problem with all of this, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, and one of the endocrinology journal uh, papers I read said, basically what's, what they're trying to do in athletics is take um, some kind of social construct and, and, you know, this idea of gender and putting it on, on biology and the two don't always match up super well. So if your your physiology for whatever reason doesn't fit neatly in those boxes, that says something about your gender identity. Or at least that's what the the idea behind this gender testing was. Right. And which is obviously, you know, super, super not right. Yeah. And so and and, and the conclusion of all this too is so since formal tests for female eligibility ha- were introduced in nineteen sixty six up until now. I guess uh, no man has ever been identified in a, w- a women's event yeah. at international competition. And this was, you know, peer-reviewed paper that that has said so this. <laughs> all of this work and all of this like fretting is really for naught. And all of these, pr- you know, people's individual privacy that's just been yeah. totally violated. It, it it actually really reminds me of like the welfare drug testing thing. Oh right. Where they're like, oh, we're going to spend all this money because we don't want people on welfare using drugs, and then they do all this testing, and they've never caught any. Like there, it doesn't. It just people on welfare aren't spending their money on drugs as it turns out yeah. so they spend all this money doing all this testing and it, they it's could just have just given out more it's just, welfare it's just a, yeah, yeah exactly it's all just a waste of time so i kind of feel like this is all a waste of time too um, yeah. totally different problems but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah a little not, bit not trying to anyways but so we've talked uh, quite a bit about um biological sex and how that varies and and people who don't fit neatly in either category and and some of the gender testing and so that brings us to the idea of gender identity does it Tessa, does it always match up with uh, with gender assigned at birth? Uh, if only it were that easy. No, <laughs> no, it does not. So uh, tell us a little bit about um, – so we, we defined cis versus trans earlier. Um, the transgender population, I think there was a recent report about that, about how big it is. At least in the U.S., it's 1.4%, which is actually double what they used to think it was. And, you know, as was mentioned earlier, that's uh, a pretty, you know, that's well over a million people. So, I mean, it's a non-trivial percentage within the U.S. population. Right. So for trans people, um, I've heard people talk about the idea of gender dysphoria. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Okay. So gender dysphoria is the technical term for sort of the psychological distress caused by the dissonance between your innate gender identity and your sort of actual physical um, gen, you know, sex and social gender. Um, and if you want to know what it feels like, the best description I've ever heard of it, because it's hard for a lot of people to imagine right. if you're not trans, right. is have you ever like tried to write or open a lock or something with your non-dominant hand? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like that, you know, that sort of awkward, uncomfortable feeling, except about a thousand times worse, and it never goes away. Ah, you can't just open it with your right hand, right? Yeah, no, no. no. It, and it's, you know, I mean, some days it's worse than others, but it's 24-7. The closest I ever got, I, I broke my leg horribly and had all kinds of surgery on it and was like horribly like swollen and terrible and painful. Um, and, and for me, like it was really psychologically like I couldn't look at my leg. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want anyone else to touch it. 
And I kind of imagine that might be like a little tiny, tiny bit. Like it just was wrong. It's it a little bit right like leg. that. Yeah. 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 It, it, that feeling is like that. I mean, it's, it's mm. you know, it's very visceral. I mean, obviously mm. it's, in our case, it's probably a bit more general than just your leg. But yeah, well, yeah. It, it's okay. like that. Oh, okay. So uh, what's the best available treatment for that? One of my biggest pet peeves when people talk about the treatment of trans people mm-hmm. is like, oh, well, why are they doing all this? Why don't they just go get counseling? Right. And the thing is, we do get counseling. That's actually step one. We get a lot of counseling. Mm-hmm. I spent six months with a psychologist before I actually started transitioning. Oh, my goodness. Um, and just sort of getting myself figured out. Partially that's because until I was 26, I sincerely, honestly thought I was a dude and there was a lot of rationalization and denial involved. But that's a whole other story. But, you know, the only conclusively effective treatment we've discovered for gender dysphoria is transition to physically or socially or both to the self-identified gender. And so um, some of the the biological transition, um, I've heard people talk about taking hormones or surgery. Can you tell me a little bit about the hormone surgery? Or hormone surgery, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So um, I think the the thing that people are maybe most uh, familiar with through like popular culture is this idea of of hormone therapy. Um, And that has the largest effect on athletic performance. Uh, Whatever is going on in terms of like external anatomy really doesn't have a big impact on on running performance. So um, can you tell me a little bit about hormone uh, replacement therapy? Sure. Okay. So like you said, um, as, as much as everybody gets in a tizzy about surgery, really hormones are the probably the most critical part of a medical transition. Um, I'm most familiar for obvious reasons with the hormone replacement therapy used for trans women. Trans men, it's different and um, others can attest to that. But for trans women, um, I don't think people really give hormones enough credit for how powerful they are. Um, And we were talking earlier about genotype versus phenotype. And this is an example really where, you know, you can have the same genes, but under the right triggers have a very different phenotype emerge. Um, I know for trans women, after you've been on hormone replacement therapy for a while, you can see some pretty major changes. Um, so f- first, let me though, let me actually explain, you know, what goes into um, the typical regime for hormone replacement therapy. So for trans women, um, part of it is estradiol, which is a form of estrogen. Um, and that can be taken either as a pill dissolved under the tongue or injections or through uh, patches on the skin. However, since testosterone will... Um, outcompete with the receptors that estrogen binds to, you also need to get your testosterone levels down. So that's usually paired with an anti-androgen compound, similar to the ones that uh, the intersex athletes mentioned earlier were at one point forced to use. Um, these usually typically include uh, spironolactone or cyproprotonate or, um, or cyproprotonone acetate, and sometimes also finasteride, more commonly known as Propecia, which is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. Um, and what you aim for is actually the more or less the same uh, female hormone, uh, the same hormone levels as a cis woman. So testosterone usually is under 55 nanograms per deciliter, and your estradiol levels are above 200 uh, petagrams per milliliter. Some people also do progesterone or other hormone com- um, combinations, but those are the m- big ones. Right. And is it the kind of thing that like, you sort of have to adjust it for individual people as they take it? Yeah. 
Yeah, because um, people's sensitivities and how they respond to it can vary. Some people don't need a lot. Some people do need a lot. Right. And I was going to say, I talked with uh, with Kai Scott here in, in Vancouver, and he said for trans men, um, hormone replacement therapy would involve testosterone injections. There might uh, also be hormonal birth control um, that can uh, help manage menstruation or um, act as birth control if that's necessary for them. Um, but uh, it's, again, it's the kind of thing that, you know, is done in concert with medical supervision, ideally, um, where, you know, so they have a medical professional checking their levels, making sure it's okay, um, and that... You know, it's it is a balance. Um, biology is a system, and if you sort of play with one part, then then sometimes you need to kind of keep an eye on the whole, the way the whole thing works. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Especially since, like I said, the effects of hormones are so pervasive. Yeah, I couldn't believe, like, just reading some of the the hormone effects, I was just blown away by by how like how it can really just change so much about anatomy. Yeah, um, and if you'd like, I can go into more detail about that. Um, So, um, the physiological effects, at least, again, for trans women, because that's what I'm most familiar with, are um, pretty shocking. Um, The first major one, and the favorite of most trans women, I think, is that it um, causes breast development to occur. Um, and in some cases, non-trivial amounts of breast development. I mean, not to TM you guys, but I'm a D-cup and still growing at this point, and I was completely flat-chested when I started. Um, and not only that, but the breasts are functional. With the right um, hormonal regime, I could be induced to lactate and could breastfeed a child, and I know trans women who have done that, um, which is really cool. Yeah, I've heard of uh, cis men who were, like, if their partners were pregnant or breastfeeding, they could actually induce small amounts of lactation. So that that flexibility seems just built into human beings. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, that's another example of, you know, genotype versus phenotype. That Mm -hmm. is normally a female phenotype, but anyone, regardless of their, whether they have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes can express it. Um, And I have a tangent about that after we're done talking about this. Um, But yeah, um, another major change is fat redistribution, which takes a while. Part Mm -hmm. of it is that you just put on more body fat compared to muscle, but also it's put on in different locations. I mean, I have curves now where I didn't before, but also a major change is that um, both for fat and muscle for the face, um, Mm -hmm. I look, my facial appearance looks noticeably different than when I started. I mean, I don't really look like a dude anymore. I don't know if I actually could be seen as male even if I wanted to because my face has changed so much, Um, which has been really cool. Yeah, the same is true for trans men. There can actually, from what I understand, be bone, um, like the way that their bone structure is in their face can actually change. Uh, In some cases, depending on the age, that's also Mm. true for trans women as well. Mm. Um, Usually if you're past 25, though, the effects are... Mm less pronounced because at that point your growth plates have fused. Right. Um, but yes, um, it hormones do make a major change in your facial appearance. There's also changes in skin texture and the amount of body hair. My skin is a lot smoother and I've lost a ton of body hair. Weirdly enough, that's been one of my fiance's favorite aspects of me transitioning <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, mm. That and I also apparently smell better now, so make mm. of that what you will. Um, athletically, the major changes though... Uh, that are of interest are reduced muscle mass, um, and along with that, reduced strength, and reduced endurance due to the decrease in red blood cells. I mean, on that note, so my understanding is then that you, like your running performance, like you slowed down. 
Oh yeah. Right. I went from being able to run a comfortable eight eight minute, eight minute and ten second mile, mm-hmm. to right now, if I'm really, really, really trucking it, I can do nine minute forty five. If and that's like only happened a couple times. Most right. times it's ten minutes or more. I actually so, so, I, I translated that to kilometers for Canadian <laughs> listeners. I hope that's okay. <laughs> oh no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's five. You're going about five minutes a kilometer to about uh, six. Which is actually the exact same pace difference between Nigel and I. Yeah, which is funny. I think that's amazing. I'm like, oh, Nigel, it's your testosterone. Damn it. <laughs> it's interesting because, of course, we talked to Kai and, and, and Kai ran faster. He was su- he's super fast yeah, he, regardless. Yeah. yeah. And But psychologically, so this is, this is a question for you. Uh, I, I mean, as a runner, though, that's got to kind of hurt, you know, psychologically. It's slowing down <laughs> slowing a bit. Slowing down. It, it was definitely frustrating. Yeah. To some extent, but at the same time, it was one of those things where I don't mind because the other effects are so worth it. Right. right. You know? It- yeah. And and this is what Kai said, too, is that – so for him, he was always placing really high in, in the female category, and now he's placing lower in the male category. And he said psychologically that's tough, even though he's running faster, but he said it's totally worth it. I should also mention uh, for trans men uh, – the, they will get faster, um, but there's also, uh, depending on whether they've had top surgery and, and how they feel about that, um, chest binding can actually decrease your speed significantly. So if you're running well well binding, um, that can actually just about cancel out the testosterone um, boost. But he said after top surgery, is about 30 seconds per kilometer faster. Um, but he said, please, please make sure if you're listening to this, do not bind and run. It's really not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. From what I've heard, physical exercise, you know, any sort of strenuous physical exercise and binding are, are not a good combination. Right. You know, all of this uh, affects uh, have huge changes on, on traits associated with athletic performance. There aren't a lot of good studies of transgender people. So um, I did dig up what I could find. Uh, there was one study that compared 17 trans men and 19 trans women um, and looked at them before transition and, and one and three years later. And they showed that the trans men increased their muscle mass and hemoglobin concentrations to close to that of the untransitioned trans women and was statistically indistinguishable within a, a year of, of hormones, while the women, trans women decreased their hemoglobin to that of untransitioned trans men, if that makes sense. So about what you would expect um, for, for cis women. For trans women, their muscle mass will decrease, not quite to the level of untransitioned trans men, but since muscle mass is correlated to height, trans women are on average a little bit taller than cis women, they are going to have higher muscle mass just from the extra height. But muscle strength is a result of cross-sectional area, so having more muscle probably doesn't actually make them any stronger than cis women. Um, so it seems like there's, at least for runners, um, it seems like there would be no performance advantage for a trans woman compared to a cis woman. Um, there was one study. Uh, this was by uh, Joanna Harper. She's a super awesome scientist and trans runner. And she's the only person I think that I've been able to find who actually studied athletic performance in trans women. And so she used this idea of age and gender grading. Uh, so the way it works is that it actually compares your race time to that of the best available time by an athlete of the same age and gender as you. So you end up with a percentage. So for instance, if I have an age grade of 50, that means I'm half as fast as the best uh, 32-year-old female runner. So you can compare age grade scores as a way of comparing runners of different ages and genders. Uh, so for instance, actually, Nigel runs much faster than I do, but our age grade scores are very similar. Right. Right. Because men generally, on average, run faster. Yeah. 
So what? Although, although, although oh, yeah, I was just, well. You're still a little faster. I know. I know you're faster. Damn it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> no I was, competition I was, here. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not competitive at all. Um, uh-huh. No, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, it's interesting though, because, you know, some of that's con- contextual in the sense of like, I mean, you placed in your age, in your, in, oh, your, yeah. in your grade quite well in Taiwan, but that's because nobody, there weren't many female runners. Yeah, it was super weird. I'm running this like half marathon and halfway through I look around and I'm like the only woman I can see around me. And I'm like, yeah, what? Is, <laughs> well, this is so weird for, for Vancouver where it's yeah, more, where more women than women men run. run. Yeah. So anyway. uh, what Dr. Harper did is uh, she calculated the age grade percentages for eight trans women when they were competing in the male category versus when they were competing in the female category. The average age grade for the runners competing when they were competing in the male category before transition was 68.7. After transition in the female category, it was 68.5. Zero statistical difference. They're basically as fast. They are as fast for women runners as they were when they were competing at, like in the male categories. Now, now did this also apply for the reverse for trans men? There, haven't, there hasn't been a study on trans men that okay. did something similar as yeah. far as I can I, tell. I think- yeah, based on Kai's experience, was a little bit different, but yeah, it's hard to say. Of course, his averages. And yeah. yeah, and um, you know, like it may be for individual people that they increase a little bit or decrease a little bit relative. Yeah. Um, but. But still, super interesting. Yeah, yeah, and so as far as anyone can tell, uh, the best reviews that that we've been able to find say basically, um, actually, if anything, trans women have lower testosterone than cis women. So, oh. yeah. So depending on um, on what antiandrogen is going on, um, but you know, for instance, I read a an article. So do you know Fallon Fox? No. So she's yeah. a yeah yeah. So she's a MMA fighter uh, who's a trans woman, and uh, she was she was writing. She's like, look, like I've actually I've had bottom surgery, and so like cis women produce testosterone in their ovaries, so my testosterone is actually lower. Than that of a cis woman, right, right. Uh, there's lots of actual uh, awesome trans runners and organizations for for trans runners out there. Um, Joanna Harper, she's written quite a lot about trans athletes. I really highly recommend reading some of her writing. Uh, Chris Mosier has made uh, the U.S. U.S. national team. He's a trans man for duathlon. Um, I haven't heard confirmed any trans athletes in the coming Olympics, uh, but there's been some discussion. But again, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to be an out trans athlete. So um, we also have to make sure we're respecting people's privacy about that. I'd also like to mention Amelia Gappen, who was um, the first ever trans woman on the cover of Women's Running uh, this July, actually. So, uh, yeah, definitely. And, and Women's Running, did they do a, an article on her and... Yeah, and and trans runners in general. Oh, cool. Uh, okay, so there are rules depending on the um, the athletic um, organization about trans athletes. Yeah, and they're all, they're very inconsistent between yeah. different organizations. Right. Um, and and I kind of it's interesting because you can kind of break them up. There's there's a lot of organizations actually that have a totally open policy, right. where you compete in the division in which you identify as. And and my very and, favorite organization. Oh yeah, the International Kidditch Association. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> uh, which I did not know existed. Um, but a lot of those organizations are kind of 
it's like obviously very progressive organizations like the International Gay and Lesbian Football Association, right. uh, Disability Sports Australia, uh, U.S. Association of Blind Athletes, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, and USA Swimming uh, are pretty apparently pretty progressive. And then there's the World Out Games, right. Ladies Professional Golf Association has a totally open policy. Oh wow! Oh. Um, hmm. Yeah, they simply because they they eliminated they. Limited the requirement in 2010 that players be female at birth. That's the uh, okay. They lim- by eliminating that allow it all transgender players to participate. So, oh, cool. Um, well, trans women anyway. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, there's a lot of uh, organizations with I think what would be the, the extremely bad policies, right? Which would be so the, uh, the USA boxing, USA sailing, really yeah. sailing, Interna- sailing, really <laughs> international <laughs> tennis federation. Uh, hmm. rugby football union in the UK, and those policies hmm. are like they require proof of surgery, right? Uh, medical, yes, record, you know, because this kind like of thing. having what's between your legs really changes your running speed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> have you have you had some there's some, there's anatomical some issues sometimes? <laughs> okay, right, <laughs> right. But uh, that's not really an advantage, though. Y- yeah, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, so but of course the big ones are the International Olympic Committee. And they have two separate policies. Actually, a lot of other organizations, too, they would have two separate policies between trans masculine runners and trans feminine runners. Um, and, of course, the trans masculine runners, they usually just don't care. Right. Right. As per we've mentioned already. Um, and then so for the IOC is one of those that they don't care. Um, but they have all these rules for uh, those who transition from male to female. And they have to... Uh, oh man, had to have declared that gender identity for a minimum of four years. They must demonstrate that uh, their total testosterone level has been below uh, ten. What is that? Nano nanomoles. Nanomoles, yeah. yeah, per liter for at least twelve months prior to, uh, to their first competition. Oh Jesus! You know, there's a whole bunch of these. The athlete's total testosterone level in serum must remain below ten nanomoles per liter throughout the period of desired eligibility, and compliances with these conditions must be maybe monitored by testing. In the event of non-compliance, they will be suspended for twelve months. My goodness, yeah. I now this is a, a better though than it was. So I was reading that Joanna Harper had worked with them um, to actually re- eliminate the requirement for surgery, which was a, an initial requirement right. until very recently. Yeah, very recently they uh, they changed that. Um, yeah, so they were kind of in the bad category or the very bad category for a while. Right. Um, and then of course the World Anti-Doping Agency considers testosterone a banned substance or yeah so this is kind of a tricky thing to negotiate here athletes there can apply for a therapeutic use exemption but it's not always granted and it seems to be on a sort of a case-by-case i guess so, so i guess that kind of leads into the next question of right how can say running clubs or running events or you know these kind of organizations in the running arena (laughs) um be more trans inclusive right and so you know this is kind of there is a bit of a um a kind of interesting thing here because it's not necessarily enough just to change your policy uh we talked with kai scott here Uh, he's been helping the vancouver park board as well as the vancouver front runners uh, who are local lgbt running group develop their policies into becoming more trans inclusive and he actually he runs a company called trans focus um, that helps organizations become more trans inclusive this was a super super 
interesting interview. I yeah, like. yeah. Talking about yeah. all kinds of um, issues around, you know, even does it make sense to have two, de- two gender categories when really, you know, we see testosterone concentration naturally just being on this continuum. Um, and he does mention that uh, trans runners tend to be underrepresented. Uh, many, of the, many of them feel that not comfortable if they're worried about being kicked out of races or bathrooms, if the running club, you know, stops at certain places. Um, so tra- being trans inclusive doesn't just mean putting up signs or policies. It's actually important to reach out to local trans communities, invite people to your space, make it clear that that they're going to be listened to and that um, any concerns they might have, you know, is something that you care about. Oh, my God. I, I got to just... Oh, yeah. Side divert to the talking about bathroom signs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so, uh, Tessa, you'll find this kind of hilarious. But anyways, they just put up trans-inclusive bathroom signs here in the library that we're at. We saw this today. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was just great. Today. Yeah. And they put up the signs and they have uh, Braille on them as well. Right. Except they're printed signs. <laughs> yeah. So, Scott, it's, two, it's 2D Braille. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. It's like it was like a swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah. Like it's great that they're trying. trying to be really inclusive, and fail. yeah, the point of braille is to be three dimensional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really funny. Anyway, but yeah, sorry. Back to anyway. the, back to the um, topic. But you know, so um, in terms of actual policies that are trans inclusive, uh, he mentioned it includes, but isn't necessarily limited to, making sure people are able to run in the category that they feel most. Uh, comfortable with and allowing for a third um, category is actually something that Vancouver front runners does in their races is so if you feel that male or female is is not how you identify to have a third category for for non-binary or gender variant people right um is there any policy uh tessa that you think would be helpful for for a running club um well again just making it clear that people are allowed to categorize themselves based on their self-identified gender um, and just generally being accepting and supportive of that. That's really in all of us, any of us can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, I do you, have you experienced or have you had anyone, um, like runners that you know that feel like they can't run in local races because of some of the policies or? Um, I haven't run into anybody locally. Um, I know it has been an issue, especially at high level competition, um, especially depending on like, Sometimes they'll request that you register. Well, it depends on what the rules are. USATF still follows the rules where, you know, you have to have surgery and, you know, you've been on hormones for at least two years. Um, so under their rules, I would have to register as male, even though literally all of my identifying documents say I'm female at this point, um, which would be awkward. So... Um, Generally speaking, I just register as female because, I mean, I'm just doing 5Ks anyways. Um, But for the higher levels, it does get much heavier. It gets, for the more competitive levels, if you're, you know, if you're doing Boston, um, it does get a lot trickier. And I know there are some trans women who ended up electing to get surgery, even if they'd been on the fence for it, just simply so they could compete in you know, major high-level marathons as a woman who otherwise wouldn't be able to. Um, so it's not an issue I've dealt with personally, but it 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 has been a problem for others. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. you know, this has actually been a an issue with some of the intersex uh, runners that we've been reading about too, where um, they were forced to have either gonadectomies or clitorectomies. Um, 
because, you know, they're like, well, you need to be and, – and there's no medical reason for that. When they're perfectly healthy, there's no reason for someone to to be forced into a surgery that they don't want or they don't feel is is necessary for them. And, and that's really, you know, I think if there's anything that uh, I can really get behind is, is people have the right to bodily autonomy um, and to doing what's right for their own bodies. Um, is there anything for, for trans runners that, um, that you think we haven't covered or you think is a, an important topic? Um, I think we've covered most of it. I mean, I can, you know, for any, you know, trans women out there who are just starting their transition, yes, your time will go down, but don't worry, it's worth it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, people talk a lot about chromosomes and XX and XY. The thing that gets me about that, and we'll get into this as we talk more and more about hormones, is that the Y chromosome actually doesn't do that much. It, you know, it, its major function is that it triggers the um, essentially the formation of testes and male genitalia in utero. That's pretty much all it does. Everything else is the result of testosterone. Um, and, you know, the other thing is that most of the genes that can determine your physiology otherwise, in terms of whether or not you're male and female, you know, up to including stuff like breast size or how deep your voice gets or whatever, are located in other genes and could be expressed in anyone with the right hormonal cues, um, you know, which is, like I said, you know, the major, um, which, like I said, when I talked about, you know, you can have multiple phenotypes from the same genotype. And again, this is very true in trans people because with the effect of hormones, our phenotypes can change dramatically, even though our genotypes don't necessarily change. Right. No, that makes sense to me. I, You know, it's funny. There's been talk, actually, that the Y chromosome is disappearing because it's it, it's does so little and there's there's sort of less and less of it. There are some animals in which actually sex determ determination is just that female has two X's and the males have one X. So um, that's happened before in the animal kingdom. You know, humans wouldn't be the first first ones to have that happen. Um, but yeah, the, the thing I always kind of keep coming back to is, you know, think about a caterpillar, think about a butterfly. They both have the same genotype, but their phenotype is, is entirely hormonally dr driven. Right. Totally find that absolutely fascinating. And I, I think that's something that people just, you know, they're so stuck about thinking about the binary. Yeah, I think I think that's really the big conclusion here. Yeah. Is that this landscape is way more complicated than mm. I think most people understand. Yeah. Um, you know, and and once you do understand it though, everything else, I mean, so much of these issues that people bring up are kind of not that important i don't know if anyone totally understands this landscape to be honest well, yeah but i'm mean, understanding <laughs> yeah. it a little bit more yeah you know it it just makes the like the gender testing in sport look really ridiculous mm. you know it makes so many other issues that have come up that i mean like why some you know why even necessarily ask these questions for like running clubs and things like this right um, yeah i mean at the recreational re level particularly it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah exactly <laughs> like i know i'm not gonna win the race <clears throat> so i'm fine with that i'm just running against myself yeah you place 300th in the no yeah. three thousandth in the vancouver sun run or something oh like, no, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no um and, and you know i think the other thing that i i find kind of interesting is you know the the one thing to think about is is does it really 
um, even at high competition, does it does it really matter as long as lots of people get to participate? Uh, Kai was actually suggesting that wouldn't it be interesting, you know, to solve this problem of putting like social categories as gender on like athletic performance? What if we were just to have like testosterone classes, kind of like you have weight classes in in athletics? Right. Yeah. That would be super interesting and like get away from this idea of having gender at all. Yeah. Um, in sport, and and maybe that would be a way to to have these different kinds of of races. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, but... yeah. I mean, the other problem is, of course, testosterone levels change. They change as a result of like right. But so does weight. Interest. I mean, people yeah. do that thing where they like. Oh they yeah, always, they cut they, weight. They cut and... weight to be at the top of a weight class so that they yeah. can be more competitive. And anyway, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all it's all about the tea. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. Oh, my pleasure. For all our show notes and references for all the science that we talked about, go to our website, SciRunner.com, or to get in touch, find us on Facebook.com slash SciRunner, or send us a tweet on Twitter at SciRunner. <laughs> I don't know. Send us a tweet on Twitter. Tweet, tweet. Tweet at me. I'm so lonely. Yeah, nobody tweets us. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more episodes from SciRunner, uh, please support us on patreon.com slash SciRunner. We're poor. We need money. No. Yeah, seriously. We're... Seriously support us, though. Oh. Because... <laughs> we we have costs. We have hosting costs and microphone costs and yeah. and all the costs. Yeah, it's very sad. No. Oh. Just buy us a coffee. That's all you have to do is you have to go there, buy no. us a coffee. Or, or a beer, you know, depending or on how beer. generous. Yeah, depending on your... We're even <clears throat> more exciting when we've had beer. Yeah. Mm. All right. I think we can stop <laughs> rambling. <laughs>